we have, we have many ways uh, of talking about food. But here's, here's a common thread. A lot of them, one way or another, reveal something of... Uh, well, it's a, it's a complex emotional relationship to, to food, to cooking, to eating. Think of, think of comfort food uh, or guilty pleasures. Is there a revenge food, I wonder? Maybe there, maybe there should be. Uh, how we cook, how we eat, it's intimately bound up with how we feel. Uh, th- this is a thing well known to food writer and historian B. Wilson, who's eloquently documented this. Uh, she's been described by Yoda Motolenghi as the ultimate food scholar. Uh, she's author of many brilliant books, the latest of which, The Secret of Cooking, Recipes for an Easier Life in the Kitchen. She joins us now. Be welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. An easy life in the kitchen, but this, this comes from life for yourself that was not, well, far from easy. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm actually, I've been thinking of writing this book for a long time and that Ottolenghi quote about me is so lovely, but this is my non-scholarly <laughs> book. I was trying to write something just that would be really, really useful for um, busy people, people as I was when I began writing it, or I still am, but middle-aged mother of three kids. Um, but I began the project thinking I want to write this cookbook that helps people in different phases of life. And I already had the thought that maybe so far from being this problem or this obstacle that cooking can sometimes be a salve and help us at difficult times. Mm. And then it's just funny how things work out because at the end of the first lockdown in the UK in 2020, and I was a few months into the project, my husband of 23 years suddenly left. And it was like, oh, okay, I've now got to test just whether cooking can help under these circumstances. And the strange thing was that it did. It really did. I'd written all this stuff in my book proposal saying, you know, cooking can centre you back in your senses and it can do this and it can do that. And then I was kind of living the truth of that every day because I'd be mm. so sad so many days. It was just raw and horrible and a shock and trying not to cry in front of the kids. But it's kind of hard because we were all, the two of us, yeah, my older son was locked down somewhere else, but my two younger kids were locked down with me. But then I had to wake up in the morning and make breakfast for my youngest son, who just wakes up like clockwork every morning at 6.30 or 7. And somehow it helped, just the act of cracking eggs into a bowl and adding the flour and the milk and making pancakes or making waffles. There's a hazelnut waffle recipe in the book that really, really got us through some not very nice weeks. (laughs) And so it Yes. A, a good waffle, a waffle will do will that. A waffle will do that, I find. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued by that, I mean, that, that, uh, an appalling personal circumstance, but the, the fact that you intuited this previously, that this was your sense yeah, I mean, of, of, of food's possibilities. Yes. I mean, I think the thing is cooking can help under lots of different circumstances. In a way, that's what the book's about. There's a chapter which very much became more vivid for me after my husband left about cooking alone. Because suddenly I was sitting, not most of the time, but on some evenings the kids were going to have dinner with their dad. And for the first time, just sitting, looking at this chair at the table that should have been his chair and not wanting to have this spooky feeling and thinking, well, one way I can make that better is by cooking myself something really delicious. But in answer to your question, had I figured it out before, 
Well, of course, because all human life, this was a big thing that happened, but it's not the biggest tragedy people might endure in the course of life. I mean, it just there's all sorts of ways, circumstances under which cooking can help us, whether it's just thinking, oh, I just really wish I had something quicker that I could eat in the evening at the end of a long, stressful workday. That's a kind of more minor kind of disappointment that many of us are suffering on a daily basis. But it's kind of, it's on a continuum with the stress and sadness of being left. It works in many ways. I mean, there's the the associative nature of food, the way it takes us back to places of perhaps greater certainty or greater happiness in memory, mm. uh, in association. Then there's the, the busyness of making. I mean, both those mm. things are, are great selves. I love the way you put that. Yes. I, the memory thing, the thing about association, I think that's so powerful. I found, I mean, I've known this for years, but again, the separation made it more powerful that mm. I was, there were so many things. I'd been with this man since I was 19. I It was just this decades of associations with one person. Mm. But suddenly through food, I could time travel to much older associations to do with my mother's kitchen and childhood. Or I could time travel in a strange way, not even time travel, just travel, <laughs> Um, by using other people's cookbooks and visit countries I'd never been to, whether it was Syria or um, actually India I have been to, but Indian <laughs> regional food that I hadn't experienced, Malaysia. So I think you're completely right. Food has this, there's always this twin track of it helps us in an emotional sense, but there's also, as you said, the busyness. It's also just the most grounding, practical thing you can do in a life when most of us are stuck on screens for far too much of the time. It is one thing that you have to connect all five senses when you're doing. It's a complex time, isn't it, in our, our cultural relationship with food? It's it's celebrated. It's It's vastly entertaining. We we watch miracles on the telly of, of people preparing stuff, but at the same time we just hit Uber Eats. We, either we kind of revere it or avoid the process of it purely in pursuit of convenience. I'm not sure how those things meet in the middle. I mean, to me, how they meet in the middle, I mean, people, I think maybe you used the phrase guilty pleasures or something in your intro. I mean, mm. To me, food should never be a guilty pleasure, but there's this huge new factor in our lives. I mean, places like Australia and the UK, we've actually had it for decades and decades. In other parts of the world, it's much newer. But the prevalence of ultra-processed food in our lives, I'm more and more convinced, is responsible for so much of the complexity of our relationship with food in that you've got these multinational companies pushing us these products, which are so ubiquitous they're not really food. There's now science suggesting that they don't actually satiate us very well. They are designed to generate overeating, which then leads to regret, which then leads to the diets. And then the multinational corporations sell us some diet products. And to me, one of the best things you could do, and it's obviously a council of perfection, is just the more you can get off that treadmill of ultra-processed food, and just make something for yourself, as simple as it might be, you know, just start with an omelette, start with a salad, start with a bowl of soup. Suddenly, a lot of that noise and chatter around food kind of melts away. 
I can't let you mention omelettes without you confiding your your rather neat neat trick with an omelette. Yeah, well, as as with everything in the book, it's not really my trick. I mean, I, what I felt I was doing in the book was gathering lots of other people's tricks and trying to share them because nothing's original in the kitchen. But I have this lovely little book which I've had on my shelves for years called Country Ed, sorry, Country Egg, City Egg, by two San Francisco chefs. Okay, and they had this recipe that I'd been staring at for years that was just a simple country omelette with some ham and mustard. And I've eaten omelettes many times with mustard on the side, but they actually whisked the mustard into the eggs. And I just thought, okay, kept turning the page. And then I just made it one day, actually, without the ham. And it was astonishing. Just the act of adding a bit of Dijon mustard to the eggs instantly tenderized them. So it's kind of a, it's a sort of tool that protects you against, you know, whether your omelette technique is great or not so great, it's going to come out that notch more tender. And then you've got the double advantage that the mustard makes the eggs deeply savoury. So I've taught this to say, well, not taught it, but just told it to so many people. And it's just thrilled me that of all the things in the book, and multiple friends have said, oh, I've just made the best omelette of my life. And <laughs> it's kind of, it's nothing. We've mostly, but most of us have a bit of mustard Making the best omelette of your life is, is a moment to treasure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Because I think life is made up of lots of meals. There's always another breakfast. And if you can make your everyday meals better that mm. surely makes life one notch better too i mean i mean that's that's a sneaky little piece of food chemistry of course how the the dijon works which i mean it goes to a, a thing about cooking that it's it's so much it's learning some some basic planks that then you can apply in a whole lot of different circumstances and once you have that vocabulary um you're kind of set for life exactly i think it's i think we often credit i mean recipe writers too much and credit ourselves too little. And that's one mm. of the other big things in the book that I'm trying to encourage people to talk back to recipes, including mine. I think sometimes we get in this very obedient state of mind faced with a cookbook. And sometimes that just paralyzes us and prevents us from cooking a recipe because we'll look and we'll think, oh, well, they've asked for this particular herb, but I don't have it and I don't have time to run to the shops and buy it. But if you can just start learning how to substitute stuff and thinking, okay, well, I made this before with chives. I reckon it'll probably work with parsley too. And the more times you do that, the more that you trust yourself um, yes. to do it again. And it sort of, it just makes everything easier. It's funny, isn't it? I suspect that's the consequence of of living in a, and, and no offence meant by this, but living in a food book culture, which is where we mm. learn our cooking by slavishly following someone else's set of ingredients and method as opposed to, you know, perhaps with our mother or our father, should he be skilled in this way, uh, and, and learning the, you know, the, the broader techniques of this, how to put stuff together without that specificity that we get from the, the, the you know, the written recipe. That's true. I mean, sometimes someone said to me while I was writing the book, you the existence of written cookbooks is a sign of the failure of a food culture because mm. if you mm. look at um <laughs> look at italy for example we're, we're, okay, we're yeah, i mean cookbooks <laughs> came so late to italy compared to britain because they knew how to cook they didn't need the cookbooks it was all in their heads the kind of flip side of that is i'm actually quite happy that we're living in an era of cookbooks in one sense and not just cookbooks obviously but also internet recipes and as you said tv shows because it is very democratic. 
And I think there was also a huge problem with those traditional food cultures, whether it's talk about Italy or India or anywhere else, which is that the burden of cooking so much fell on women who weren't also then credited for their work. And I think it's great that we're living in an era where cooking is a gross activity for men in contrast to our grandfather's generation when, I don't know, I'm assuming Australia is similar to UK. It just wasn't, I mean, for yes, for some people, but it was so rare for men to cook then. Whereas now, it's completely normal. And that's great. And one of the ways you transmit that has to be through cookbooks. A lot of that emphasis in, in our modern food culture is around sort of de-stressing cooking, you know, quick hacks for this or mm. Jamie Oliver, things you can do with five ingredients, which is wonderful. But does that also take some of the joy out of the process, that, that part of the pleasure in cooking is in, in, is it's in metic- it's meticulousness in, in the labour of preparation? I think there is, I'd more, I'd sort of prefer the word care instead of labour. And I think all of those Better quick word. cookbooks, they have their place. Yeah. But the, this kind of, it's, what I worry about the obsession with quick recipes, having said which, I do have a recipe in my book for 10-minute chana masala. <laughs> and it, honestly, it sometimes, it only takes seven and a half minutes if you're really speedy. Um, so there's, there's something to be said for a recipe where you can just come back and you look in your pantry and you pull out a can of beans and some spring onions and some spices and it's just there and it's food done but I think it's the mindset so I have a chapter called treat time as an ingredient what I'm trying to say there is sometimes yes of course you want a five-minute recipe a 10-minute recipe something with with as few ingredients as possible but as you've just hinted one of the purposes of cooking under some circumstances, is to take us out of ourselves, to take our minds off things, and also to have that satisfaction of making something with care and craft. So I think we really should just talk much more of time as something Mm. that we have to factor into every recipe. Sometimes you want to be in the kitchen for an hour or two hours chopping things, um, listening to podcasts, listening to music, because that's going to make you feel great, just as going for a run might make you feel great. And it re-centres our life. If we pay more attention to feeding ourselves and all that that involves and implies, we're suddenly living a very different existence. We're living a really different existence, even whether it's, I mean, it's incredible payoff in cooking for other people. Mm. It's one of the sort of most immediate ways you can either express love or just make other people happy. But I also think this hugely applies to your relationship with yourself. We know that one-person households are massively on the rise around the world. And it makes me really sad that cookbooks generally talk about this so little. And when I've been giving book talks about this, people... Feeds four as a main course. Feeds four, exactly. It's that default (laughs) phrase, feeds four, which is fine, but it can be a bit tactless if you're a single person reading that over and over again. And it's kind of saying you don't matter and your appetites don't matter. And I think of all the miraculous things you could do with cooking, you can change your relationship with yourself. I suspect that's one of the great triumphs of your your, your difficult period is managing to do that for yourself, to, to give yourself that pleasure and comfort. It totally was that. And it's funny because, and I've been cooking for my husband, ex-husband, um, and the kids 
for many, many years. And he never loved food that much. I mean, he did appreciate my meals. But suddenly realizing, oh, I actually cooking to please myself <laughs> is something I can do, you know, regardless. And then actually, if you learn a whole repertoire of things that pleases yourself, the odds are that your friends are going to love it too. Yes. Um, but that thing, that thing of cooking it for yourself is such a hurdle. Um, you know. It's such a hurdle and people struggle with it. Mm. And I think it's another area in which traditional food cultures are absolutely great especially because there's this sense of hospitality, which is wonderful on its own terms. There are kind of taboos almost against eating and cooking alone. And I think we've just got to break that down and acknowledge the fact that the way people live has changed. We, we, we salute you and are pleased and amazed that you've put this down in your book. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. B. Wilson uh, and her book, The Secret of Cooking, Recipes for an Easier Life in the Kitchen, of which, uh, says Nigella Lawson, there's not a kitchen that should be without a copy. So when, when Nigella tells you to get a copy, you go get a copy. So off you go and do that uh, in, in shops and libraries. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.